It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports comments editor with Rick Brewing. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. A reminder, if you are a potential NFL draft pick and a potential high NFL draft pick, um, having an arrest warrant issued for you just before the combine is, is probably not good. We'll get into some combine, some college basketball, favorite topic on the, on the program where you can ask me a question on anything. Go to the Twitterverse, hit up hashtag ask any anything. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, Rick Roaring. That's the second time we've started this show with a cold open, making fun of future potential lottery pick. Last week, it was college basketball. This week, it's college football. So equal opportunity. I appreciate that about you, Skinny. Yep. Well, it is the beginning of March, Skinny. And as as we are recording this on Thursday morning, it's also the day of the quarterfinals of the Horizon League tournament. So we're going to start right there. Northern Kentucky will host Oakland in the Horizon League quarterfinals tonight, Thursday night. That's coming off a big weekend last weekend where NKU went, went at Detroit 67-64 and went at Oakland 78-69 to finish off the regular season. They tied for second in the conference, ended up with the four seed due to tiebreakers. And now here we are. Skinny, what did you think? We talked so much about that end of the season stretch for NKU where they had to play seven of their final eight on the road. They ended with four straight on the road. They went three and four down the stretch there, won their last two. What did you think of how they handled that tough road stretch that we talked so much about? Yeah, you remember remember those back-to-back games, the Youngstown game and Wright State game on the road where they got their doors blown off and, 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 you know, really didn't play very well at all came back to win four of their last five, one of those, the, the layup game against IUPUI. But those last four on the road, Rick, to go three and one with the one loss being to Cleveland State and then winning at Oakland. I know it, it's going to be the old, well, you know, you got to turn around and play them again, even though it's at home, but it's back-to-back against the same team and they're going to have revenge on their side and blah, 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 blah. I think the point is, NKU played damn good basketball down the stretch and, and really seemed to get things going a little bit. Yeah, and I was asked this the other day while I was on someone else's show. How much does the nine-point win at Oakland change your opinion of this matchup going into tonight? Because the first game, Oakland won at Truist Arena 64-63 on a Jalen Moore game winner. That was that crazy comeback, though, in the last whatever minute or so. Exactly. So how, so where do you view this matchup going into tonight's game where the two teams are one and one they split each team winning on the road yeah I I think the edge is clearly to NKU just because of how they played down the stretch the body of work overall uh the fact that it did take kind of a a miracle comeback for Oakland that that's got to stick with you too if you're NKU of listen we're better than them we've proven it twice we shouldn't be one and one we should be two and oh and then it becomes then the narrative would be well it's hard to beat the same team three times in a season which it is it's true um, but I, I, I'm just going to go with body of work. NKU is, is a better team, period, end of story. Yeah, and, you know, NKU won four of their last five games to end the season. On the other side, Oakland lost three of their last five, and that's kind of been their MO the last few years is they start the season strong, they have a lot of talent, and then they seem to fracture a bit and peter out down the stretch of the season. So hopefully that's the case again this year. Well, I, I would say this one thing about this league this year. I mean, I think Youngstown and they won the league. 
is has probably been the most consistent team from start yeah. to finish. But it feels like every time we think we know something about this league, you don't. I mean, Milwaukee losing to Green Bay, for example, a couple of losses that NKU had. And then you can also say a couple of the victories that NKU had. It, it's, it is a league this year where it, it's not Wright State and all the rest or NKU and all the rest. It's literally four or five or six teams can win this thing if you, if you, if you played this out a thousand times. Well, and if you look at the history of the league since NKU has joined, we've seen plenty of upsets to the high seeds early in the tournament. So it wouldn't be entirely surprising if Youngstown State did even make it to Indianapolis. And yeah, you, right. add it, you add in the fact that they haven't been here either. This is all new for them. It's new for their coaching staff. You got to imagine there's going to be some tight sphincters in that huddle coming into tonight and then going forward into Indy for them. No, that's a fair. I think that's a fair point. That's I think part of the beauty of the one bid league. Um, for goodness sakes, it really puts everybody on edge from from the start. Yeah, this is a situation where Wright State really has an advantage. They haven't played that well all year, but now they go. They play at Milwaukee, which is a team who just hasn't experienced this being in the the top four seed of the conference and and having a real chance to compete. They haven't had that opportunity in the last few years same thing with Youngstown State on the other side who's going to be hosting Detroit Mercy and Antoine Davis who's chasing Pistol Pete's record both of those teams are going to be catching bullets from teams that have already been here and that have played in these types of games before so um, I'm interested to see how both of those teams hold up yeah and, and when you have a great singular talent like Antoine Davis who averages almost 30 a game I mean you could look up at the end of this night and he goes off for 44 and they pull off the upset right it wouldn't be crazy. It wouldn't be crazy. And again, Youngstown State has been the most consistent team in the conference. They're like 118th in Ken Palm, which is clearly the best team in the Horizon League. That They are the favorite to win it, no doubt. But I wouldn't say it's a lock by any stretch of the imagination because there are a number of teams. Out of the eight teams that are left, I'd say probably six or seven of them have a very legit chance to win this whole thing. Let me, let me wrap up the NKU segment with this, Kenny. Norse are plus 350 to win the Horizon League tournament as of this morning on Thursday morning. You like those odds or no? Yeah, I would have liked five to one, three, 30 to win 100 on them. I, I guess I could do it. I don't feel like it's great value, to be quite frank. And that's not saying I don't think NKU can win. I, the value at five to one would be better for me. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to Xavier. The Musketeers came away with a couple of big wins, one over the weekend, 82 to 60 at Seton Hall, and they followed that up Wednesday night with a 94 to 89 win at Providence. They will take on Butler Saturday. That's the final home game and final regular season game for the Musketeers. They'll have their senior day. And uh, Skinny, what, what do you make of these last two quad one road wins by Xavier after falling flat at home against Villanova? Yeah, I mean, it felt like you know. The, remember on the, the the reveal show Saturday, they were the last of the, of the of the four seeds in. They were the 16th of the 16 teams that were seeded. They quickly seemed like they fell off that four seed line, and now they've battled their way back to that four seed line. And I guess that's the funny part. I think we talked about it at the time. Was it last year when the reveal came out? 15 of the 16 teams that were revealed um, stayed as one of the top four seeds. Nine of the 16 stayed on the same seed line. And I think Xavier has gutted it out to battle its way back to that four seed line. I mean, last night was just was ridiculous. And I'll give Sean Miller credit for this. And I had to find the quote from him from last night because he's right because of the performance of Sule Boom and, and Colby Jones who combined for 62 points and made 21 of 30 shots. 
He goes, sometimes you got to acknowledge that you won because of a player or two players. We won tonight because Sule Boom and Colby Jones were outstanding. And he's right, because you know how coaches always go, it's a team effort, and our team did good things. <laughs> I think sometimes you got to say those two dudes won the game. It's it's great. Sean Miller is so great at post-game press conferences because of reasons exactly like that. He doesn't have a lot of cliches or coach speak in him. He's so honest. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Colby Jones and Sule Boom were just better than everybody else on the court. And there was nothing Providence could do about that. And, and that's really the reason Xavier won, because you're on the road. Neither team could really get many stops. You're talking about a game that where both teams scored nearly 90 points. Xavier's at 94, Providence at 89. So, I mean, just a high possession, high scoring, hotly contested game. And you just have two of your stars making shot after shot. The one thing I wanted to ask you about, Skinny, is I'm a little su- surprised that Providence didn't stick with their zone defense more. It's what got them back in the game. They were down by 22 in the first half. They played it through the final minutes of the first half and the first several minutes of the second half, and that took them from down 22 to back within three points at one point early in the second half. And then Xavier made a few shots in the row, a few shots in a row. You had a couple of mid-range jumpers. You had a couple of threes by Sule Boom and Colby Jones back-to-back, and they decide to get out of it for the rest of the game, the final 10 minutes there. They never seriously threatened again. I, I just think a team like Providence who had proven – already in two games this year that they couldn't guard Xavier's ball screen motion flow game. Why not take them out of that permanently and and see what they can do in the zone the rest of the way when you had had more success with that. I'm surprised more teams aren't junking it up against Xavier with how good they are in that, that flow game offense. Yeah. And and I, I go back to, I've talked about this before my irrationality as a coach when I'm, I'm I'm an old school man to man guy, right? I've talked about, I like to press mind you and I'm a big, uh, zone press guy back into man to man. Um, and, and whenever I have zone, it's always some kind of trapping thing, but there isn't a rationality. And I have it that as soon as a dude makes an open shot against the zone, I will turn to my assistant and go get us out of it. And I, it's irrational as all get out. Um, it makes no sense. It's the whole, you hate to see anybody take and make an open shot. Never mind that those two guards were not only making shots, but they were get, getting to the rim whenever they felt like it and finishing at the rim on you. Um, so your man wasn't working, obviously. I, I honestly, Rick, I think there's an irrationality factor where that comes in, and I'm the first to admit that. There's no question, and that's what it felt like. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Ed Cooley waited a little bit longer than just one or two shots. He, he let Xavier make a handful of right, them. Desmond still, Claude, you know my point. You know, my, it's an irrational fear. Yeah, and, and I think you're exactly right, because that's what I saw from Ed Cooley is uh, they're making open shots. We got to get out of this and not taking into account that I ran the numbers. It's a small sample size, but out of 66 half court possessions in the game, 47 were against man, 19 were against zone for Xavier. Xavier averaged basically 1.2 points per possession against the man to man and 0.8 points per possession against the zone defense. And, so the and numbers listen, bear it out. No the, question. the zone defense was more effective. Yeah, no question. And I am not a big analytics guy by any stretch. I'm too old school for that. And I do appreciate you pointing those numbers out. But every team is into analytics today. And I think there's somebody on the bench at that point goes, Ed, honestly, I mean, look what we're doing against these two things. I mean, let's let's go back to the zone. I know they're making a couple shots, but it's proven to be the better of the two defenses tonight. And we don't have to go into analytics. We can simply say 
You were up by 22. You got it back within three. Right. That's all we're talking about here is amount of points. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. You know, I mean, that's all the analytics points per possession is just how many points you're scoring, essentially. See, but Rick, that's when you're down at the casino, right? And you've kind of you grinded your way back at the blackjack table by playing conservative and you get it back to zero and you go, all right, time to unload again. It's no, like, how did you get back into this game, my man? Yeah, or, or that's occasionally you'll see a, a coach. There's like, we're going to sub all five guys out. My starters just get, aren't giving it to me. I'm going to put the bench in. The bench makes a miraculous yep. comeback. It's like, all right, we're back in the game. Let's throw the starters back right, in there. Exactly. And you lose by 20. And it's right. like, what? no, why? Why did you listen, go away from what got you there? And the funny part, I think you and I both like Ed Cooley as a coach. I saw oh, great. Like him as a person. And, and there's a great CBS did a really cool special on him um, right before the reveal show. And I, I really enjoyed it. And it was just a nice behind the scenes look at, at Ed Cooley and his love for Providence and all of those things. Um, but you know, sometimes coaches are just irrational and he was probably irrational in the moment last night. And probably today when he's looking at things and looked at the tape and they look at the numbers, he's going to go, you know what? I messed up. And he's far from the only coach no, I that's that. not willing to stay in the zone against Xavier. And Sean Miller has even said so many times after games this year, it's like, well, we're really good against the zone. We got them out of it. That type of thing. I get that to some extent, but also sometimes I'm almost thinking Sean Miller keeps bragging about how good they are against the zone. Because he knows he doesn't want teams to stay right. in the zone. He <laughs> likes attacking that man-to-man from their flow game. It's it's so hard to stop. That's where they're getting a lot of their points off of the high-low actions. That's how Colby Jones is getting downhill off of ball screens. That's how Sule Boom is getting free a lot and drawing a lot of fouls. It's like that's where so much of their offense comes from. They don't have to run any set plays. Why not take them out of that at least make them do something else? Yeah, that, that reminds me of the days when Bob Huggins was always asked about because Joey Meyer was the head coach at DePaul. Yeah. And after his father, the legendary Ray Meyer, was the coach, he took over for him. And DePaul had some good teams, but not great teams, um, you know, through the 90s and the early 2000s. And now they're a flaming disaster. Um, they were once a national power, people, in case you're wondering. But um, Bob Huggins would always be asked about Joey Meyer as a coach. Oh, I love Joey. He does a great job. Yeah, he does, because he's ruining DePaul. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, you're going to talk that guy up to keep his job, man. I yeah, get we'll it. Keep him there for another decade. I was like, yeah, right. That's exactly. been all the Big East coaches with like Dave Lato. They're like, no, he's doing a he's doing a really good job. We should keep him there. No question. No question. Hey, one other thing though, too, is the, the minutes that Desmond Claude gave them off the bench too were humongous. Really good point. Yeah, Desmond Claude has stepped up big time starting basically in February. As soon as Zach Freeman went down, which their first game without him was February 1st against Providence. Ever since then, Desmond Claude has really given them some great minutes. And the two games that he missed due to illness, they really missed him. So, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you. He has been huge off the bench. Yeah. One other point. Where, where do things stand in the great, great Zach Fremantle circus? You know, at this point, you have to wonder how much of the talk of he's definitely coming back. He's going to start practicing in a week. He's going to be back soon is more Xavier selling a narrative, the NCAA selection committee that he's going to be back than anything. At this point, I just don't think any of us know or any of us can reasonably say that, oh, yeah, Zach's going to be back and he's going to make an impact for this team. We just it's two up in the air at this point. It's been almost six weeks, I believe, now since they first sat him down and and said it was going to be four weeks before he came back. I'm just I'm not sure that there's any real sign of hope right now that he's going to be able to contribute. Yeah. Uh, one other point too, and I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure right. Xavier did clinch the two seed, right? That is correct. They yeah. are the two seed. They will play the winner of uh, seven seed Seton Hall and ten seed DePaul. 
Yeah, so I was watching. Uh, I was. At, I, we'll talk about the combine here in a bit. I was at the combine in Indianapolis the last couple of days, and uh, Tuesday night I was back in my hotel working, watching the end of uh, of Villanova and uh, and Seton Hall. And my buddy, who's a Xavier season ticket holder, called, and he's you know he's trying to keep keep Xavier from playing Villanova Villanova in the in the in the opening round or in the early rounds of this tournament. And obviously, it, it worked out because Xavier won, and that was kind of it. Either Nova needed to lose or Xavier needed to win. But he and I were talking. Dude, Nova's really good right now. Ooh. With Justin Moore back, they're a scary team. Yep. The metrics don't suggest it. They're still showing up as a quad three loss, I believe, Yeah, if, but, if you play them at home. But, man, they're a different team with Justin Moore back. Yeah, I wouldn't mind the, uh, taking some odds on them to win the Big East tournament. Or, I mean, because they're going to be good odds. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are starting to feel that way about them, too. Like, hey, they, they know how to do this. They've been here a few times. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to Kentucky, Skinny. The Wildcats picked up a, a resounding 86-54 win over Auburn and then lost 68-66 against Vanderbilt. Skinny, you've said it so many times with this Kentucky team. It's been a strange year. It's been back and forth with this team's done, they stink, then hold on a second, they're showing signs of life again. And then it felt like we had finally gotten to a point with this group that okay, maybe they're over the hump now. Maybe they're just starting to play good basketball. They won four games in a row. They had two good quad one road wins in that time period. And then lo and behold, they lay another egg at home against Vanderbilt on senior night. What do you make of this latest performance? I I will say this. Vandy laid an egg at Alabama on the last day of December. They lost 101 to 44. They've gone 7-1 since. They have an inexplicable seven-point loss at LSU, but it is on the road, and I always kind of chalked it up, including their wins in the stretch. Uh, they did beat Tennessee. They won at Florida. Uh, they actually won at Florida and beat Florida at home. Now, Colin Castle didn't play in the most recent one, and now they have a, a road win at Kentucky. So some of this is Vandy's playing better. So let's let's start with that. I'll, I'll, I'll give that part of it. I think some of it, Case and Wallace um, – you know, some of it's C.J. Frederick's back and getting minutes and not playing, didn't play very well last night. You know, they're down to no point guards, and Antonio Reeves had to play point guard when Casey Wallace went out, and I think that was a big part of it. I do. You know, Kentucky didn't shoot it great. Um, you know, uh, Jacob Toppin's been playing great of late. He didn't play great last night. So so I, I if this team is a real enigma. It's hard to figure out. Um, I, I know people are back on the fire cow bandwagon. I was on, on a message board reading all the firings. I don't think I pin this one all on Cal. I mean, he certainly deserves his share of it, as every coach does. I just chalk it up to you. Lost your point guard who's been playing great for you. Not just good, but great. And take him out of the equation with no backup because of the severe Wheeler situation, whatever that may be. I know he had surgery, but who knows if he'll even be back. Um, and it leaves you with no point guards, basically. And that's pretty hard in college basketball. That's going to be a problem. They they weren't deep at the position to begin with, but Case and Wallace have been playing so well recently that you felt like that really gave them a chance here heading into the postseason. Now that he's down, and, and Cal said he doesn't think it's serious. They had x-rays done. X-rays were negative. He hopes that'll be back for Arkansas on Saturday, but no guarantee that's going to be the case. What does Kentucky do if you don't have Case and Wallace available, and basically you go into that game with no point guards. I guess you're going to have to play Reeves at the one and hope to God that he doesn't get the get turn it over 16,000 times. I mean, he was horrible last night. He didn't shoot it very well. Um, four of 17, he turned it over three times. Had uh, I think, let me, I'm going to look. I've got the box score up. Give me two seconds here. I don't think he had an assist. 
And again, he didn't play point guard the whole night, but he played it after Wallace went. Yeah, no assist to three turnovers and four of 17 from the floor. You can't have that. You, you cannot have that. Yeah, Kentucky only had six assists in the game compared to 11 turnovers. This wasn't a good performance. Vanderbilt's playing basketball, whatever. It kind of is what it is. Where do you think this leaves Kentucky, though? Because it had been a situation where it's like, oh, man, Kentucky's on the wrong side of the bubble. Can they even get into the tournament? Then they win those four games. They get a couple of quad one wins. All of a sudden, the resume is looking completely different. And now they're moving up into seven seed, six seed range. I saw Dude. some people putting them as high as a five seed. And then they lose that home to Vanderbilt. Well, no, where, where do you think that leaves them now? Yeah, I was talking to a couple of writer friends yesterday when we were just waiting for some interviews at the at the combine. We were talking some college basketball, and I, you know, I, I saw Bracket Matrix yesterday morning had them up to a six seed, and they've gone up quickly. I mean, it was they got in, then they jumped to a ten quickly, then they jumped to an eight quickly. Now they're leapfrog to a six. I said, you know, if they don't lose to Vanderbilt tonight, and they can somehow go steal one at Arkansas and win a couple in the SEC tournament. They might play their well to the way to the five and four seed line at, at, at the rate they're going. And now, I, I honestly, Rick, it's probably going to settle in the seven, eight seed range. There's obviously a difference because the eight's going to play a one in round two and the sevens are going to play a two. But I don't know if this year if that matters all that much. I think it does matter if you're a six or a seven. Um, could they play their way back to the six line? I would suppose they could. Um, you know, you go to Arkansas and get the win and again, win a couple of games in the SEC tournament or hell, win the whole thing with another couple of quad ones, maybe three quad ones mixed in there. I think you do vault your seed yourself back to the six or five line, but I, you, you can't do that without Casey Wallace, point blank. I just don't see them being capable of that either if he doesn't return and return quickly. I, I don't see how they can win at Arkansas without Casey I don't, Wallace. Yeah, I don't even, no, I'm with you. I, I agree with that, no, no doubt. Now, as of yesterday, this does not take into account the Vanderbilt home loss, but going into that game, Kentucky sat as the final six seed, according right. to Bracket Matrix, yep. an average seed of 6.3. So that means a ton of sixes, a few fives, a, a decent amount of sevens, and then a few eights sprinkled in there throughout the different bracketologists um, throughout the country. So pretty good variance in terms of what seeds different bracketologists are putting Kentucky at. A lot of the other teams are a bit more uniform than that, where you only see a difference of like one seed line Kentucky going through uh, three or four seed lines between the different projections is pretty interesting so I don't know that anyone has a great feel for where they're at exactly right now but it does feel like they could potentially end up in that eight nine game or they could maybe stay around the six or seven seed line potentially yeah, yeah. I, last night's just one you got to have it's not a bad loss it, it's it, it's I think eh, it might be a quad, is it a quad? Eh, they're not a quad three are they that was a quad three Okay, so it was a quad three. All right. Um, you know, maybe Vandy gets another couple wins that switches to a quad two. And who knows, maybe the win at Vandy eventually switches to a quad one because it was on the road. I mean, that, that could be fluid too. But the bottom line is that that was one you had to have to keep you, I think, in the conversation of the of the five, six line. Um, steal one at Arkansas. And like I said, win a couple in the SEC tournament. I know some fans have taken the whole thing. Are they even going to get in? They're, they're firmly in. That's not they're even in debated. now. Yeah. That's not even a debate any longer. They're in. I, I, yeah, I think they're going to settle somewhere around the, the, the seven, eight seed line. I'm kind of with you. Yeah, I, I would agree. And just to follow up on that Vanderbilt point, Vanderbilt is currently 84th in the net. So they would need to drop nine spots. They only have one right. game left. That's a home game against Mississippi State. So, I mean, unless they win that game by 30 points, they're probably yeah. not dropping nine yeah. spots and getting back down to a, a yeah, quad two. So that's, that's, that's a fair. That's, that's yeah, okay. I, I, did, I will say I was surprised. And I think this took last night into account, Rick. I think. 
Kentucky's up to 22 in Ken Palm. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky right now is sitting at 22 overall in Ken Palm. They're 16th in offense, and their defense has dropped all the way down to 68th all of a sudden. You go back just, I think, two or three weeks ago, they, they were, were at they were 100. Yeah. yeah. So the defense has really played much better over the last few weeks. Yeah, and that's why I, I know people are over their skis. They always do when Kentucky loses. I get it. I just can't get over my skis of last night, losing a point guard, um, and, and you still had a shot to win it at the end. What do you make of Xavier Wheeler? Do you think he might know. come back, or what's going on with that? I don't know. It sounds very odd. I mean, his family doesn't show up for senior night. Uh, John Calipari's wife shows up. He has a he has a medical procedure, I guess, not attached to the ankle injury that's kept him out. That, and we don't that, learn about that until the day of senior day of the yeah. It, it just it all sounds weird, does it not? Very strange and. It's weird because I, I think there is a role for him when he comes back. I think they've kind of played things out to where there is a really good role for him that is pretty clear cut at this point. As question is, oh, does he does he want that role? That's the that's the question. And that's fair. Maybe he's not interested in it. And maybe that's part of what's going on here. But I mean, they keep telling us he's injured, so I'm going to go with that and give I him the benefit too. of the doubt. I'm with you. But I almost see it as like he could be an NBA backup point guard. You know how they kind of bring in that guy like Jamal Crawford used to be for the Clippers or other teams where you, you don't need him necessarily to run your system or get you into things. Let him go get his when he comes in to play backup point guard. Let him be that spark off the bench. Be your offense for two and a half, three minutes while you're sitting case and Wallace down. Let him heat it up and carry you a little bit and then get him back out of there and, and let Wallace run the show again. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're clearly a better team with Case and Wallace at the point. And 100%. I, I'm sorry if the kid doesn't see that and maybe he doesn't. And I get it. You all, everybody has pride, but they're clearly a better team with Case and Wallace. But there is a definitive role for Severe Wheeler. It's not like he's an incompetent buffoon. He can play. You just can't play him 30 plus minutes. Right. And I think you've gotten to the point where you can kind of separate it all and say, look, We've got things rolling on the offensive end. We're playing well, but we still need some minutes from our point guard position. And it's not like we have a ton of scorers in this offense. So, you know, for two or three minutes at a time, let's put in this backup lineup with severe Wheeler kind of leading them and play it just like the NBA does that. Like they'll do it at the end of quarters and to start the next quarter. Occasionally they'll bring up that, bring in that scoring guard off the bench and let them rock do that with severe Wheeler for a few minutes at a time. And I I think that's a great role for him within this team. But like you said, who knows if he'll even be back. Right. All right. Let's finish up with Cincinnati, who has a very weird schedule here to end the season. They lost at Memphis 76, 73 on Sunday. They don't play again until this coming Sunday when they host SMU skinny, I guess with this Memphis game, it's kind of a similar story to what we've seen a handful of times this year in big games, even going all the way back to the crosstown shootout, Cincinnati, plays their way out of the game in the first 10 minutes and then fights back admirably for the final 30. But I think if you're a fan, that probably gets frustrating and becomes old at some point. Yeah. I mean, they got punked too. I mean, I, I watched a chunk of that game. It, it, it occasionally looked like men and boys against that press. I mean, they just literally took the ball away from them. Like it was your, your, your best high school team playing some rummy high school team, or you put the press on for a quarter and you go, all right, we've done enough tonight. And that's kind of what Memphis did. And they kind of coasted from there. And in this UC team, let's face it, they ain't winning games that David Julius and Landers only make 12 of 31 shots and they turn it over 20 times. They're, they're not winning a game. The fact that they only lost by three and that was actually Memphis having to make a couple of big free throws at the end is admirable, but it doesn't amount to much. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the thing. Cincinnati has been in this situation a lot this year where they've found a way to get back into the game, but 
when you dig yourself a, what was it, 15 point deficit or, I mean, double digit deficit, regardless in the first yeah. few minutes and get, get yourself that hole on the road, it's going to be tough to win any game, especially with the team that doesn't score at all that consistently. And like you said, I mean, the ball security from Landers Nolly is just embarrassing at times. Like it, I hate to say it, but he, he plays like a guy who just doesn't really care. No, I, no, I, I think he, he cares about getting some of his. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a great scorer. He can shoot it from the outside, but there are way too many important possessions where he just gives them away. Yeah, I, I, yeah, agreed. And Victor Lockett has the same issue. They throw the ball into him, and it's like at some time, at some points, he's their best scoring option. And at those same points, he'll turn the ball over three or four times just trying to make a move. And it's like, I don't know how you live with that exactly when one of your most consistent scores is also just a, an absolute wild card in terms of what he's going to do with the basketball. I did look at NIT bracketology yesterday and you see as a five seed in the Wisconsin region. If that means anything to anybody. Sounds like you are unconvinced. This UC team can win three straight games in the American athletic conference tournament. I'm sorry. I, you know, I hate to, I, yeah, I'm not conv- convinced because I mean, Rick, when you look at the wins this team has had, there's just not enough marquee on there to make you go, they can do that. Well, and I was thinking with the, you know, they had played pretty well in the UCF and Temple games coming up on Memphis. If they could have found a way to win this one at Memphis, win at home against SMU, you got a little momentum, you've won four in a row. I was maybe willing to say, okay, this team gets the, the two or three seed here heading into the American Athletic Conference Tournament. Maybe they've got a chance, but... Uh, they weren't able to take advantage. They're going to likely be the four seed, it looks like, in the AAC tournament. Yeah, I can't see them, th- them winning three straight games. Yeah, that means you're going to expend whatever energy you've got to beat Houston in a semifinal and then have to turn around probably on an empty tank and beat a, beat a Memphis on the other side of the equation. That, that's a big ask. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like they have enough consistency to pull off multiple wins. And again... We've seen them compete with anybody in the conference. So they in a one game their, scenario, they can beat their ass off, but but it's a matter of at some point you got to pull off a win. Right, one game scenario, I can see them pulling an upset, but yes. winning three straight against quality competition, I just yes. I don't know. Yeah, and especially again if it's Houston and Memphis on back to back nights, and that's the potential scenario. Uh, good luck, with well, not nights, but whatever back to back days. That that's a big ask. All right, and again they will wrap up this Sunday on Senior Day against SMU. Skinny, anything else from the college basketball world? Um, no, I, 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 I will say that this this end of the year of of the Purdue's of the world dropping games and and teams trying to find their way back in and teams falling out. It's it's another fascinating end of a college basketball season before we even get to conference tournament time. And I think that's going to make some of the conference tournaments really fascinating. Who's your favorite team in the country right now? Well, I hate to say this because I I, I hate what they stand for at the moment, but Alabama. What, you don't like TSA checks? That was a little over the top much. And Nate Oates just coming off is constantly going, I just now noticed that. I I guess I'm not paying attention. No, you're not, guy. I mean, Nate Oates just needs to go to the Will Wade school of not explaining anything to anyone. You don't have to keep saying things. I'm rogue. I've got rogue dudes, and we're going to kick your ass. And we're not going to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to answer to you. Yeah, no, right. Are you throwing me out? Are you... Literally firing me, locking me out of the building. Because if not, I'm not talking about it. And, and even though I say Alabama, and they were, you know, they had that great comeback last night against uh, against Arkansas. I had a better rally from 15 down to win at home. That was a crazy game. Was crazy. 
All right, let's switch gears here. The NFL scouting combine. Wait, 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 wait. You can't, I can't let you off the hook with that. Who's yours? Oh, Houston. Okay. I'd go with Houston. I'll, I'll I'll make it easy and just go as chalk as you can be. They're the number one team, <laughs> according to Ken Palm, number one team in the AP poll. But I do think Houston is the best team in the country. I do too, Rick. I, I'm, I'm interested. The only thing I'll say before we move on real quickly is I, I'm sure they've gotten bored with AAC play and they've, they've shown that at times. Um, can they turn the light switch on when they get to that second weekend when the games get tougher? I think they're good enough to do that. My question is, will they do that? Yeah, I mean, I get your point. They're also 15 and one. And that no, one was fair. a slip up, that's, a home slip up against no, Temple. But that's right. No. Even with being bored, they've been incredibly consistent. And that's yeah. because they're insanely tough defensively. No question. They're great on the glass. And I mean, they're top five in the country in offensive efficiency, too. So. Yeah, they're, they're as good as it gets. No, I, I'm with you. I, I think they're really good. All right. Now let's switch gears here to. The Bengals and the NFL scouting combine, which was held this week, which means you media types got the chance to talk to Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor. Both of them, Skinny, came out and emphatically stated that the Bengals are not interested in trading T. Higgins. I think that was the biggest storyline that came out of these conversations. The quote from Duke Tobin was, I'm not in the business of making other teams better. I'm in the business of making the Cincinnati Bengals better. That's not on my mind. They want a receiver. Go find your own. In my opinion, T. Higgins is a good piece for the Cincinnati Bengals, so the trade stuff is a little ridiculous right now. What did you make of Tobin's comments about T. Higgins? This is a topic we've talked about a few times here recently on the podcast. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me because I've never been in that camp. Listen, this whole thing started with Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic writing a, a piece, an off-season piece of looking at kind of the Joe Burrow contract situation and how the trickle-down will come and the possibility. And his possibility scenario was, you know, if things went completely haywire here and T. Higgins was going to tell you he's not going to play, then you may think about trading him. That's all it was. It was Paul surmising in a piece and rightfully so. I don't think, you know, and then uh, that, that, like I said, that, that goofy dove clean and climb and clue or whatever his name is, took it and, and used it as gospel and, and actually said as reported by the Atlantic and not the athletic. And then that became a thing. And then everybody took it and ran with it. As I've told you, they were never, that, that was never on the table for this year. They're bringing the band back as much as they can bring the band back. And they're hoping eventually to extend T Higgins. This conversation will come up next year if they don't get an, a, a contract extension for T done this offseason. And if they decide to tag him and if he decides not to play on the tag and then they maybe trade to tag him and trade him. That's coming up then. It ain't coming up now. And, and it never was coming up now. And I, I think I've said that on the podcast a couple of times. So I kind of laughed at, at the way Duke and Zach answered that because it was like they were just saying, listen, this is ridiculous. And it is. It's ridiculous. Well, it's funny because. Like you said, we've had this conversation on the podcast a few times recently, and the comments about the Bengals potentially wanting to trade T. Higgins or anyone having serious conversations about T. Higgins being available via trade this year was overblown. It wasn't a serious thing, and it wasn't likely to happen. And then at the same time, these comments now by Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor, I think, are being blown out of proportion by Bengals fans because it's like, Okay, yeah, of course that's what they're going to say this year because they were never going to trade him. Like you alluded to, I mean, that's that just isn't a thing that they were going to do and they were thinking about. So, of course, they're going to say that now, but it doesn't mean that T. Higgins is here to stay long term either, Correct. necessarily. Correct. As I mentioned, I mean, if this thing doesn't go right and they don't extend him um, and they decide, okay, well, we didn't extend him, but we're going to tag him. Well, then we get into a different territory. We're in this territory with Jesse Bates and Jesse Bates had to make the decision, which he obviously made and. Good luck to him. Hopefully he gets paid by, by somebody else. 
Um, but we're not at that point right now. He's going into the fourth year. The same thing. Jesse was in the same boat. I think Jesse thought, I don't even think I know Jesse thought after they extended Sam Hubbard two off seasons ago, as Jesse was going into his final year of his contract, he was of the belief. And a lot of us that cover the team were of the belief that they were going to um, extend Jesse at that point. Well, two sides never came. And this is always a one-sided point, the finger at the team, well, the you know, if the agent doesn't like the offer and the team feels like it's making a fair offer, well, that's where you get to the impasse of, all right, we're just going to let you play out your initial four-year contract. Then they decide to tag him. They use their leverage. Jesse used some of his or tried to by holding out for a while and then realized, yeah, I'm going to sign it. I told you he's going to sign anyway. And he did and had a good enough season. I don't know if it's enough to pay him what he thinks he should be paid of top safety money, but to his credit, he played it out. And that's the scenario you get to. But when you're still under contract, you ain't got no leverage. <laughs> you, you really don't. This does feel very similar to the Jesse Bates situation. The only thing I would question is, do you get the sense that the Bengals seem to value T. Higgins a little bit more than Jesse Bates? Uh, yeah, that's probably fair to say. Yeah. Yes. And, and I do think they will, in good in good stead, try to extend him. As as, as Duke mentioned, uh, they, I think they seem to have a fairly good grasp for where the Joe Burrow contract situation is going to lie, especially where it comes to the salary cap hit for this year and maybe even next. And that will allow them then to figure out who they're going to sign of their own free agents, where they might go elsewhere for free agents. They're not going to be a big free agent spender, but you know, if you lose both safeties, you're going to have to go get a veteran safety at that point. Um, if, if you decide you, you know, you're going to move on from Lyle Collins and, and uh, you know, maybe you, you move to the free agent market to, to get a starting right tackle. So you may have to do some of those things. But I, I think they're going to have a good feel. And at that point, then you can get circled back around after free agency is all done and where you think you know you're at with a Joe Burrow contract and go, OK, now we can do our extensions. We can extend T. Higgins. We can extend Logan Wilson. And maybe it can't be done this season. Maybe it has to wait till, till this next offseason. We'll see. Speaking of which, what did they say about Joe Burrow's contract? Uh, nothing specific. Um, it was Duke talking in terms of, of saying we, we have a pretty good grasp of where we think it's going to fall in the salary cap range for this year. Um, and I thought that was an important point made um, that that they've kind of got a feel for that, because if you don't, this is a very complex situation. Obviously, there's also an escrow situation involved where the longer they wait, the more they can put in escrow for more guaranteed money for Joe. So that probably this is going to not be done as soon as I think we all hope it will be done. But as long as you know what kind of the structure is going to be and where the salary cap hits going to be then you can move forward with other deals. And, and Duke made it pretty clear that they kind of know where that, that line's going to fall for at least what the cap hit would be for this season. Well, they sounded sure about keeping T Higgins around for now. That wasn't so much the case with Joe Mixon though, was it? No. And, and, and you know, you mentioned, we talked to those guys actually, then yesterday, the the group of us that are, that are kind of the daily people, we got a chance to, to talk um, in, a, in a little bit more of a, a, a private setting, if you will, with Brian Callahan, Frank Pollock, and Luana Rumo. So some of these comments will come from some of those guys too. But, um, you know, Duke used the term restructure. Uh, Brian yesterday, when he was asked about Joe, uh, said, you know, sometimes you fall on the wrong side of the business side of this business. And I think that it's pretty clear that they realize that this is probably going to be a business. And now they were all flowery about, we'd love to have Joe back. Joe's meant a lot to us. And I didn't expect them to roll Joe Mixon under the bus. Um, and understandably so. I, I don't see a restructure, Rick. I, I don't know if you brought that up to me on a podcast or maybe somebody brought it up to me off the, I can't remember what it was, but I don't see that. I, I, a, I don't see Joe Mixon wanting to restructure. 
And then at that point you get to the acrimony of it. And I just don't, I just think the clean break is probably the best thing to go. And I think that's where Brian hit it at the, the business side of it. And that's what we've talked. I've talked about on this podcast. I mean, he just, he feels right for a cap casualty. I mean, it's a $10 million savings and that's real money when you're trying to do some of the things we're talking about for extensions for guys that, um, are worth it. And no offense, Joe Mixon, $10 million running backs are not worth it anymore in this league. I mean, they're just not. And so, you know, you can sign some AJP Ryan for three to four mil. You still have Chris Evans on the roster. You still have Travion Williams, resign Travion Williams. Draft the draft the back in the mid rounds. There's a ton of good running backs in this draft. Um, you can probably find a, a, a starting level running back in the third or fourth round. It just makes economic sense. I don't think it's a it has nothing to do with Joe Mixon's situation with the with the with the with the gun and all that. It just has to do with the economics of football that overpaying for running back. I understand why they did it at the time they did it. But now you've come to the point where you backloaded it for a reason of, all right, now we make the decision. Is it economically feasible for us to keep him based on production level and other needs? And the answer is simply it's not. I just like the contrast of T. Higgins. Go find your own Joe Mixon. Uh, we can't possibly predict what might happen this offseason. We really right, don't know. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what's that tell you? Yeah, right. Um, Skinny, anything else interesting that jumped out to you about what was said by Tobin yeah. or Taylor or any of the other coaches you spoke to? Yeah, I think the the whole um, – the, the the comments of Jermaine Pratt I thought were interesting too from Duke Tobin of – and I'm sorry, I don't have the quote directly in front of me, but it was basically, you know, sometimes you let guys just go test the market. And if they get a better offer elsewhere, great. If not, then they may come back to you. And and he further said, you know, you don't want to sometimes make an offer to that guy. He gets offended and just leaves no matter what. I think you just sometimes let guys go test the market. If they're going to get a ton of money elsewhere that you weren't going to be able to pay anyway, so be it. But if the market fails them, for lack of a better term, you might still get that player back. I don't think that's going to be the case with Jermaine Pratt. Um, I did ask Duke, you know, do you have a contingency plan if both safeties go? Um, and, and, you know, I didn't get a great answer to that. And so, you know, I, I think that's the one to me, they've got to get one of the safeties back. It feels like Von Bell's in the, in the wheelhouse financially, but Von Bell probably knows where his leverage lies too, right? That, well, they're not going to pay Jesse. They can pay me. I'm sure his agent's aware of that. Exactly. Exactly. And the only other part was, you know, talking to, to Frank and, 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 uh, and Brian Callahan yesterday, uh, you know, I asked, Brian was asked about Jonah Williams in the left tackle situation, because obviously there's why well, Collins may not be back because of the salary cap savings they can have in him, the injuries coming off of with the knee, who knows when he's even going to be ready. And then the concept of, well, would you flip Jonah to right tackle and maybe Jackson Carmen's earned enough at left tackle. And I asked, or Brian was asked, I didn't ask Brian this question, but somebody else did. Brian was asked about Jonah and he said, well, I think it'd be a big ass to move him to right tackle. I asked Frank, are you wedded to, to, to Jonah being your left tackle? And he said, Buddy, in this league, I ain't wedded to anything because it's just you just never know. So, no, I'm not wedded to any part of that. So, you know, if if they really believe that Jackson did some good things in those two playoff games and they can't find something external or through the draft, then maybe it is a scenario where Jackson's the left tackle, Jonah's the right tackle. That may not be the best scenario that Bengals fans want, um, but it may be the reality of the situation. I'm probably more of the belief that Jonah is your left tackle, that if you let Lael walk um, – I don't think they're going to spend draft capital on a high round tackle. I don't want them to. I just think college offensive linemen, it's just too much of a crapshoot. Uh, I think there's a lot of free agents out there that you could go get. Um, but of course, then you need the money. So you can save some money in Lyle. You can save some money in Joe Mixon. I, I think at that point, you probably have to go out and get another proven right tackle. And then Jackson puts himself 
still in that developmental stage where he's the swing tackle and maybe he's forced into action and shows you more good things. Um, so it's a really fluid situation, actually, at the tackle position. Um, it's just another offseason of offensive line questions. Not as big of questions as we've had the last couple of years, but still some questions. Yeah, I, ju- I just don't know how I feel about the idea of rolling into the season with Jackson Carmen and Jonah Williams as your two tackles. I don't know about all that. I, that's a fair point. I, I, it is. Jonah's going to be one of your tackles, period, end of story. It's a matter right. of which one's he going to play. Yeah. I just but, I, I don't know part, about relying on both of those two guys as my two starters. So I think yeah, Rick, maybe the combination of them for one spot is good. Yeah, and the other part to it, Rick, is um, you know Jonah's only under contract through twenty twenty three through this coming season. I don't see them extending him, and maybe I'm going to be wrong on that. I just don't see it taking place. And if they do, it won't be until after this season. They're going to let him play this year out on the fifth year option. Um, you need something for the future in the pipeline too, right? Yeah, definitely, and, and that's where I feel more comfortable looking for that position. I don't know about spreading them out and deciding, oh yeah, those two are going to be our tackles of the future. I don't think that's the, the answer. Probably not. And lastly, um, wasn't surprising, but it was interesting to at least hear Darren Simmons talk about, they're going to bring some competition into camp for Drew Chrisman at punter. Um, you know, I think some of it was that last punt in Kansas city wasn't good. Uh, you know, a lot of it is hang time. Wasn't consistent. He didn't punt directionally as well as they would have liked doesn't mean Drew's not going to be the punter. Doesn't mean he doesn't go to camp and beat out whoever they bring in. I will say Jay Morrison asked a really good question that, that was on my mind when Jay asked it. You know, Matt Areza, the punt god. Remember the punt god who got wrapped up in a in a rape allegation um, after winning the Buffalo Bills job uh, last year. He was a draft pick of the Bills, won the won the job. He averaged fifty one yards a punt in college, and then showed enough obviously for the Bills. Then got wrapped up in that allegation. Well, those charges were dropped, so he's technically out there. I will say, Darren didn't commit to Matt Areza, but said, yeah, we need to just investigate that further on our own. So that would be an interesting name, at least, to bring in. One last question about all this. Is is Duke Tobin starting to feel himself a little bit with the recent Bengals' success? I noticed he's slip, so. slipping in some one-liners, I, fitting in some pop culture references. Oh, he he made great. that reference to the office. He said, uh, the only yep. time I read smoke signals is when they're electing a pope. I mean, I really feel like he's starting to show a little bit of swagger up there on the, the podium. I thought he did too. I, I thought he was great. And, and I was not anticipating because before the day started, we were just hanging around waiting for, for them to come up. And we were just wondering, Hey, are they going to say anything? You know, we know what we're going to ask. Are they going to answer any of these? We know we weren't going to get direct answers to what are you going to do with Joe Mixon? Where does the contract lie? Um, we got a way more direct answer to T than I thought we were imagining. And, and that was the thing you came out of that. And I'm like, Holy cow. I've got enough for probably two stories here today. Holy. I thought I was going to grasp, you know, struggle to get one out of all of this. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. He is starting to feel himself. It's kind of like watching Jeff Bezos' glow up over the years running Amazon. It's like Duke Tobin started out as this kind of weird, nerdy dude wearing flat bills randomly to stuff. And now the Bengals are starting to win games and he's growing power and, you know, really, really starting to come into his zone and, and hit his stride. All of a sudden, in a couple of years here, he's going to be like absolutely jacked and getting testosterone replacement therapy and stuff. So keep an eye on that. That's my yeah, no, He was great. I, he was great. Uh. NFL draft is on April 27th. What's next? Are we just waiting for a bunch of mock drafts to start coming through here? Oh, no, man. We got free agency coming up uh, in two weeks. It's the day before uh, the college basketball tournament, the NCAA tournament starts. The Wednesday of is when contract signings can take place. Actually, the tampering period begins on that Monday, the 13th, and that's when you start hearing about contracts coming out before they're even done on that Wednesday. Wednesday always seems to be a moot point because all the deals have already been made because they're allowed. It's It's the legal tampering period, 48 hours, so... We're only a couple weeks removed from that. All right. One last random Bengals topic here to get to before we move on to the Reds quickly. 
the NFL Players Association gave out a survey to 1,300 players about their daily experience at the team facilities away from lights and cameras and what you see on Sundays. Out of those reports, the Bengals were graded out 27 of 32 NFL teams, and among some of the notable grades included an F for treatment of families, an F- minus for food service and nutrition, a D- minus for the training room, and a D for the locker room. Skinny, is this something feds should be concerned about? We've heard so much in the past about Mike Brown and how cheap the Bengals were, and a lot of people have been making comments over the last few years about, oh, they're different now, things are really changing, the culture is different. This would seem to suggest there is more of the old Bengals and the old Mike Brown still at play than we've been led to believe. What what do you make of all that? Yeah, the F minus for the food service, and it lumped in food service nutrition because it said they're the only team that doesn't provide players supplements. They're one of only three teams that doesn't provide vitamins and one of only three teams that doesn't provide dinner. The dinner one surprised me because I, we they have a very nice, and I want to say this point, but they have a great, and you've been down there, they have a beautiful cafeteria. Um, I, we, we walk by there at lunchtime going into the locker room and it always smells delicious. Players are in there getting food. Now, some players have their own food regimen where they'll have an outside chef that's made them their meals and that's what they'll have at, at their lockers or whatnot. But a lot of guys eat out of the cafeteria. And I always assumed that some players would take stuff home with them for dinner. So that, that, that part surprised me. I mean, maybe it closes up and they can't eat in there, but I think they can take food with them. They have styrofoam containers. And again, we, we get to eat their draft weekend and they, they, they do a really nice job. They got great salad bars, fresh fruit all over the place, different meats. I mean, well, uh, the, the other thing they said is that, you know, the players are encouraged to come in on days off and work out and all that type of stuff. But the cafeteria is never open. Yeah. And that, again, that, surpri- so. that surprised me. That part, honestly, that did that took me by surprise. That seems very Bush league. I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that. Um, the training room, I'm not in, so I can't speak to it. The locker room, I am in. I think it's a beautiful locker room. I know the main complaint was that players didn't have uh, USB. Char- yeah, ports in their in their lockers. <laughs> Which, I mean, how hard is that to fix? Come it's on. probably not. I'll be honest with you. That's probably one that I don't – I mean, who knows? Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a problem that's not been brought up to anybody. It's just the players grousing, and now they got a chance to grouse about that. I mean, there are charging stations in the locker room. I, I've occasionally wanted to put my phone on it, but I'm like, eh, it's not my charging station, so I shouldn't. I get players wanting that stuff at their locker. I do. And you're right. I don't think it should be a big ask. And maybe it's something that, you know, now that they see this, they can they can upgrade that. Um, I mean, if nothing else, how difficult would it be to just build in wireless chargers in everybody's locker where they no, can I'm set their you. phone down? And let it char- I mean, that's a, that's you. an insane thing to not have. Now, I will say the survey did say the following. And I, I, I mean, I would think this is a little encouraging. It said it said, quote, the staff itself is well liked and the players credit head coach Zach yeah. Taylor for recent improvements that have been made which speaks to why he grades out as one of the most well-liked coaches in the NFL by his players. Well, I think there, there are two big things for the Bengals they have going for them, and that's why they've been able to lure some free agents in the last few years. One, and the biggest one, is they have Joe Burrow. Correct. Players want to play with Joe Burrow. Correct. It's that simple. <laughs> yes. And then the second is... Locker room be damned. Yes. Yeah. The second is what you just brought up, Zach Taylor. I think he legitimately has gained that reputation, and players like playing for him. They see what the Bengals have built and the culture that's around the team. And I think that has now become a selling point for coming to play in Cincinnati. All the other stuff be damned. I think the players look at each other and are honest and say, hey, you're going to like Zach Taylor. You're going to like this coaching staff. Or you're going to like this group of guys. So I, I don't think this kills the Bengals by any 
a stretch of the imagination in terms of this report, but I do think it's not a great look for a team no. that's starting to have some major success here. Let's just let's shell a little bit more money out and upgrade a few of these things. Why well, hold and, yourself and, back? Yeah, and J.C. Treader, the NFL Players Association president, uh, talking about this survey, said it wasn't done to shame teams. It was just done to, done to show light on teams, and his point was they want to do this every year so you can look back and go, okay, this team was 27th one year. They sucked in these areas, but look where they've come maybe because of this survey. And like I said, maybe that whole locker room thing, nobody's bitched about it. They've just maybe groused among themselves, and now the team might know, oh, Oh, you guys want that? Oh, we can take care of that. Sure. All right, Skinny. Let's switch gears here to the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, let's. Spring training is going on. Uh, I've got a, a new segment to get to a spring training here in a second. But first, okay. I want to start with a uh, a column or a post that was on the Enquirer this week from their new sports columnist, Jason Williams. He, he took over for Paul Doherty about, what, five or six months ago, I want to say. That's about right, yeah. And he wrote something this week. He First, he wrote a column about, I think, Phil Castellini or about the Castellini family in general. And then he followed it up with the kind of short form piece that said, what will it take for Reds fans to forgive the Castellini family? He laid out a brief, some brief thoughts on what he thought it would take and then kind of left it open ended asking for fan feedback. So I'll pose it to you, Skinny. What? What do you think it's going to take for Reds fans to forgive the Castellinis at this point, especially after Phil's ignorant comments last year? Become a consistent playoff team and win some playoff games. It's no more simple than that. Yeah, and I think it's not a winning season. It's not no. making the playoffs or even just winning a playoff series. I think it's exactly what you just said. It It is take this thing to a different level. Do what the Bengals have done. Make yourself a real contender, not just for one year as a wild card, but be a real contender for a couple of years to come at bare minimum. And then I think you'll start seeing because the old, some type of change. Because the old man, when he became majority owner of this team now almost, whatever, two decades ago, stood up there with all the hubris in the world and said, we are going to bring championship baseball back to Cincinnati. You ain't done it, brother. Nothing even close. It's been an embarrassment. And that's, I mean, that's, that's it. It's that simple for me. I mean, there's nothing that they can say at this point or no fan goodwill or Reds community. Pump, pumping prospects stuff. up our ass that they're going to be this and that. That's fine. I believe in some of the farm system ratings. Right. And I'm hoping that these guys pan out and they sure as heck better pan out. But if not, we're back to square one again. Yeah. And no one's going to lighten up on the the ownership group. I mean, look at Mike Brown and how relentless people were on him. And he wasn't even saying anything right. off color. He was just losing and, and not knowing how to run a franchise. So, I mean, the Reds have been incompetent in running their franchise, certainly. And now that they've done what they did last year in terms of alienating the fan base, I think you're exactly right. It's as simple as put together a real competitive franchise for multiple years, and then people will start to come back and, and quit yep. worrying about what you said. And stop bitching about the fans not coming now because no offense, you put him in that spot, my man. You literally asked for it. Yep, literally no, asked. Literally for it. asked for it. You're right. Literally asked for it. All right, Skinny, let's do a new segment called Spring Training Headlines. That's right. Spring Training Headlines, where I'm going to read off some headlines to you about spring training. All right. As, as the segment would suggest. And you're going to tell me which of the four headlines is the most useless. Okay. As you know, there are a few useless things written during sure. spring training from time to time. All right, let's start with, you ready for this? I am. The rebuilding Reds are already trying to play with an edge. Don't care. 
Rebuilding Reds are already trying to play with an edge. This was written, I believe, one, maybe two games into spring training. Yep, don't care. Okay. Uh, Connor Phillips is creating a buzz. Uh, don't care. You, you don't care about the buzz? Nope. Okay. This Now, this one you may care about. Joey Votto predicts aliens and World Series title for 2023 Reds. I care. That's a, that's a, that's a real... Headline that was yeah. in the newspaper this week. Because here's the thing. Are the aliens going to help them? Are we talking about illegal aliens because of the, the influx of people across the border? Are they going to sign them? No, this is not a Danny Almonte situation. Oh, see, I thought that's where if that was the case, I thought, well, if, yeah, if you guys if you can sign a bunch of these people coming up and they, you know, they, they, they come from baseball playing countries, then by all means, maybe that's how you get the talent pool. And you don't have to pay them much. Uh, no, no. Joey Votto didn't even suggest that the aliens would help. He just right. mentioned in his tweet to Major League Baseball, if you didn't see this, they asked for your boldest prediction about the upcoming season. And Joey Votto being so quirky and silly, the Joey Kooky Votto Joey Votto, is, Kooky Joey Votto. Can you just believe him? He's got a TikTok, you know. Yeah. Um, he said that he predicted aliens would come down. All the Bengals are about about to win the World Series or something. So that that was what that was all about. Wait, here's what I would tell Joey Votto. So so does he think that? So he's saying the Reds are going to win the World Series because of the aliens, or what's he saying here? I no, I think those were two unrelated predictions. I think he just meant the Reds are about as likely to compete for a World Series as there are for ah, aliens. Ah, okay, I think that yes. was his point. Yes, then if that's his point, then good for you, Joey. But I was going to say I thought he was predicting a Reds World Series championship, and I was going to say I'll tell you what, you give me your entire salary and I'll book it. I'll roll the dice and book it that your team is not going to win the World Series. All right, and our final. Spring training headline. Again, you're going to tell me which is the most useless. Our fourth yes. and final one is game has slowed down for Hunter Green, which I actually find very funny because technically it's actually sped up with a pitch clock. The game is <laughs> not a, slowing down for Hunter Green. That's it. That's a good point. What was the first headline again? The rebuilding Reds are already trying to play with an edge. Yeah, that's the one that I'm least I, I'm least interested in. Don't don't pump smoke up my ass, please. Thank you. <laughs> We're talking a game in the spring training. They're playing with an edge. Skinny. They're yeah, just flying yeah, around. Yeah, they're yeah. an exciting team. That, that that that's the least that's the least useful to me. They've got an attitude. They've played playing with an edge. Yeah, good one for game in the spring good training. Team. Very proud of you. I good think it was like a fourteen to fourteen tie or something. Maybe yeah, yeah. Came back from a big deficit. Scored ten runs in the eighth. I think. Yeah, I mean, well, they have an edge, so that makes That's sense. That's right. Correct. They're not, hey, they're not going to lose spring training. They're going to tie them. They're not going to lose them. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that was an exciting I like segment. That. That was well, I'm sure I'm sure by popular demand, we'll be forced to bring that one back. Oh, I love point, that one. So. That was one of my favorites. All right. Let's get in some Ask Any Anything. We'll start with. Uh, by the way, shame on both of us. And I had, a, I had a coach friend of mine that shamed me on a couple of nicknames that we both missed, I believe. I've had a few people shame me on nicknames, but that's the beauty of that question. There's Correct. no right answer. There Correct. are no, there's answers. Not. But, but honestly, dude, how did both of us miss Irvin Magic Johnson? But I, I mean, I mean, honestly, we both missed it. It's a it's great a, nickname. It's a great nickname, but I, that's not one that jumps out to me. It's just like it's so it's so obvious. And we didn't do one of my favorites. I don't think we did it. If we did, shame on me. I don't remember the microwave Vinnie Johnson. I thought you did mention. Maybe I did. Okay, hey, maybe, maybe that I, was someone in a tweet. I can't remember, but that yeah. was brought up at some point last week. Pistol Pete was another one we didn't mention. Oh, for goodness sakes. I and we had this. a we had a Twitter response this week that said, to follow up on last week, I'm partial to Magic, Pistol Pete, and the Great One. Yeah, the Great One for Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, yeah my, my Pistol Pete favorite one is if you go to YouTube. There's a YouTube game when he played for the Jazz, um, scored 68 points in a game, and I just love the P. It's kind of all the it's it's a quick. It's not like the whole game. It's all the buckets, 
and you can hear all the all the PA announcer says when he makes a basket is Pistol Pete, and they keep getting Pistol Pete, and it's like great. It's a great nickname. It is good. Uh, well, while we're on that topic, uh, this was another question we got. Does Skinny think it's BS that Antoine Davis is going to be NCAA's all-time leading scorer? Obviously, Davis would be breaking Pistol Pete's record. He needs 26 points in tonight's game at Youngstown State to do that. I don't think it's BS because it's part of the rules. But listen, nobody's I mean, the bottom line is nobody's going to eclipse what Pistol Pete averaged per game over his career. So, yeah, that becomes the new record, basically, right, that, that people care about. Correct. I mean, you're in such a I mean, you know, Oscar and Pistol Pete and those guys only played three seasons. Can you argue anybody that would have played four? up to, you know, that, that might've broken that record would have, should be the record holder. I mean, never mind the fact that Antoine Davis has played 12. I mean, it just, it, honestly, <laughs> it just, uh, it is what it is. Well, I mean, it, and, it, and, you know, and that the, all those points are valid. There was no three point line when pistol. Well, yeah, played. yeah that, that's there, another great, there great, was no yeah. shot clock. Right, right. And he only played three years, but the other, the other point of this, when everyone keeps trying to delegitimize this is, Antoine Davis is not even in the top 250 players in all-time games played. So there have been plenty of other guys that have had enough games and the same opportunity as him to get this done and haven't come anywhere close to it. So this is still impressive. It's still somewhat legitimate that he was able to do it. I think the bigger thing that would bother me and a lot of people who have watched the Horizon League last few years is he's doing a lot of it because his dad's the coach and he's allowed to play any way he wants and they don't win anything of consequence. So well, that they, was the same with Pistol Pete at LSU. He played for his dad and had carte blanche and they didn't win anything. They went to the NIT once. It, it's hard to win with a player playing that style of basketball, if we're being honest. Now, he Antoine Davis is most of Detroit's team. And quite honestly, I think that's how they've set it up, which is probably their fault. And if they are able to make a run and win the Horizon League tournament this year, that would be an incredible story to cap off his career. And and that would definitely be notable. But to me, that's the biggest the biggest blemish on his resume is not that he's played five seasons. It's that they've never competed in the Horizon. No, right, right. Uh, Skinny Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy are starting a new golf venture that's going to be prime time indoors head to head and it's going to feature some type of tech virtual reality element it would seem i i don't really know if i understand the full gist of this i'm not sure if anyone does yet because there's a lot of weird words used to describe it so i'll just ask you this are you interested at all in this new form of golf league developed by Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy in the PGA, where they're going to pit golfers one-on-one against each other throughout the week in between the big golf events on the weekends. Does the winner live? I mean, does the loser live? No, I believe it's like squid games. So they just kill them right there yeah, on the I spot. Mean, yeah. If that's the case, I'm interested. Sure. But otherwise, yeah, no, I think that'd be otherwise. Great. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, I love golf as many people who listen to this, but I'm a big golf fan. I love the PGA tour. I tried to watch even a little bit of the live and it was such an awful broadcast and the golf looked crappy that I turned it off and apparently nobody watched. I think it got less than 300,000 viewers nationally on Saturday or Sunday. I'm serious about that. It was, it did. I think it did like less than 300,000 um, while the PGA tour on a non-major weekend outdrew them 2.8 million viewers to 200,000. So literally every nine golf viewers out of 10 were watching that and not live. I'm not interested in these made up game things. I'm just not, I, I, I maybe shame on me. And if it works good for you, I, I you know, if you watch, I'm not going to blame you, but it's, it's not for me. 
Now, if it's a duel, then yeah, if somebody lives and somebody dies, then yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Hey, dude, I came up with that concept 25 years ago on the radio. I said one day we are literally going to have, because of our attention spans and where we are as a country, we are going to have on TV, I called it duel, where, where literally you would take a prisoner out of jail, and if he could escape within a week, he got out. But he was also going to be hunted by a lot of people and he'd probably be killed on live TV and people will watch by the by the by the millions. I guarantee you. Well, that first of all, that would be an incredible show. And I would I know. Watch. Second of all, I, 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 think of it. I think we're actually getting farther away from that. I just think as a society, we were like maybe at some point we'll flip from the PC stuff and go back to being complete cannibals. But I think we're like kind of strained farther away from allowing that type of entertainment. Mm, I don't personally. know. I don't know. I mean, think about what the advertisers are going to say, Skinny, when the woke mob gets mad on social media. Yeah, but when people are watching by the millions, what I mean, you know, it's still all about well, the $80, yeah. bro. That's true. Um, does Skinny have any superstitions while watching his team to help them play better, i.e. sitting on the other end of the couch? All right. So that's a great question. So here's what here, here's here's my take on superstitions. My father was extremely superstitious with Kentucky basketball. He he kept the scorebook. Um, it was he just he loved Kentucky basketball and he tried to pass that along to me. And up until the time John Calipari became coach, I pretty much loved Kentucky basketball. So not like my dad did. My dad was totally obsessed with it. So he would literally make me sit in different spots during a game if things were going haywire as a child. I remember at one point he made me this we were living in New York. I was six years old and I can remember it like it was yesterday. He made me go he made me get out of the room. He was listening to the game on, on a faraway radio. I think he was listening on WHAS, which we could get in, in New York where we lived. And I don't even remember, Rick, do you remember the little football helmets, the little plastic football? Oh, helmets yeah. Teams? Okay, so I had a full collection of those in my room as a kid. Every time we go to the store, I'd ask my mom for a nickel or whatever, a quarter, and you could get them out of the machine, and I would get a, get a little plastic helmet every time. And I had the full collection. So I remember I went upstairs, grabbed one of those little helmets, came downstairs, fired at my father as hard as I could and left a knot on his head. And my mother was sitting there and she just That's looked a wild. Move. She, she looked at my father and said, you deserve that because he banished me to another room. I just want to sit with my dad. My dad was doing what I thought was a cool thing. He's keeping score of this game that's from a faraway place. And I want to listen with my father. And as a six year old, he banished me from the damn room. Well, you were so bad anyway, luck. I mean, so here's where I am with superstitions. You cannot affect what your team does, people. I'm just telling you right now, you think you can, you cannot. I will say, though, as a coach, when we won the AAU National Championship, I just had to drop that in, I wore the same T-shirt under my pullover for the whole week. I did launder it a couple of times. But here's the thing. I could affect the outcome of a game with my decisions. If players have superstitions, if they want to wear the same pair of socks or the same whatever, or this is their superstition, then by all means, have at it. If that makes them feel better and more empowered, it may help them. But people, you have no, absolute no part of the outcome of a game with whatever kooky superstition you may have. If it makes you feel better, good for you. I'm just telling you, you don't. So as a fan, I have no superstitions, Rick. None at all. I actually agree with that take exactly. As a fan or an outsider, like if I'm watching a game on TV, I have no expectation of I I need to be lucky in this situation because I'm going to affect the outcome of the game like i'm completely removed from it but when i was participating in different events superstitions made me feel good yes i, li I like doing weird things like yes. at one point i kept a, a dollar bill tucked into my glove for like yeah. a year and a half exactly whatever whatever it took it whatever it took to empower you to feel better i think that's i do think that is important for players that are participating yes. 
Yeah. So I, I do like superstitions for the people involved. But when like your buddy is telling you you need to change seats at the sports book because his team is down, I'll do it because I'm a good friend sure, and I get right, right. ridiculous gambling. But I don't believe in it or think it's a, a logical thing. <laughs> yeah, dude, as a horse racing fan and I do it, I do it when I'm watching a race. I will as, a, as my horse is maybe rallying down the stretch or trying to hold on like a lot of horse players. I'll go. Come on. Come yeah. on. I'll Cheering is different. Cheering yeah, is different. It, and you know what? It, it doesn't affect what took place. This it, is true. It's, this is true, but I'm still going to do it. I'm still doing that, though. Uh, all right, Skinny, which sport has your favorite penalty system? Uh, free throws in basketball, penalty box in hockey, walks in baseball, etc. And could any sport be improved by switching to another penalty system? Personally, would love to see Dan Hurley stuck in a penalty box. It's a pretty good one. What if basketball went to this? Instead of the bonus for free throws, you got to play if, if a guy, if it's the eighth, let's just say it's a 17 foul or 18, whatever it is, a player has to be off the floor for that team for the next minute. You play Power five play. on four, play five on four, kind of like hockey. I, I don't hate that. And I also want it to be like hockey where he's out for a, a set amount of time. Let's make it 30 seconds. So it's one possession. Exactly. One possession. Okay. And then I was, thinking, I was just, thinking one offensive possession, one defensive possession. And, and then he just has to sprint back into the play. Yes, correct. Like correct. it's not like a stop ball thing. Like he just no, runs right. back onto the floor randomly and can tip a pass or block a shot. So, yeah, so just, yeah. So just, yeah. So just like hockey where occasionally you get out of the penalty box at the right time to catch the pass and have a breakaway. You could have come out sprinting out off of a rebound and you got the breakaway dunk or you sprint off the bench and you're able to go down and help on defense all of a sudden. If you're a fringe basketball league, you need to implement this. Agreed. I I I think the hockey. I like the hockey penalty system. I really do. I like the 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 five on fours or occasionally the five on threes. It, it's the best way to actually penalize a team. Agreed. I'll say Agreed. that it makes you think twice. Yeah. Or you want to get baseball, the fouling out of the sport? Yeah, I'm trying to think how baseball would do it. Maybe if you maybe if you hit a batter, he goes to third base. Something goofy like that, where you you really at all costs try to avoid pitching high and inside or inside to anybody. And that leaves the ball out of the plate. No, how about hits. this? How about this? If you walk a guy or hit him by the pitch, he then gets to bring out his own pitcher. Like it's uh, the, the, uh, the home run derby and just th- throw him two like one or two pitches right over the middle where he gets to try to take it out. I thought we were trying to shorten games. Yeah. That's going to take a little bit too long to do. Yeah. I didn't think that one through. I, These I are like half baked ideas. Skinny. Correct. I like the content. Hey, listen, this is one of those spitball times. No, there's no bad idea, right? There's just, we'll just throw a bunch against the wall and see which I, one might stick for us. I might've just come up with a bad idea. the more I think about yeah, it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, but it's, it's no, there's no bad ideas here, Rick. There's just ideas that we won't implement. All right. After seeing the glorious road running man jerseys, what's skinny's favorite uniform combination in any sport? Ooh, uh, obviously that's referring to the Xavier alternate jerseys. If yes, you're unfamiliar correct. with the running man terminology. Yeah, no, correct. Um, I, I will say I, I, these are not my favorites watching that Memphis game the other day where it had Memphis state and it had the cats for the UC uniforms. Those were pretty cool. Those were back to the, to the old seventies days. Um, I like those. My favorite, you're going to laugh. I don't know why I like these. I still, for some reason, I love the old Tampa Bay Buccaneer creamsicles. I think those are pretty popular among Jersey snobs. I think that's one that's always looked back fondly and, on. And the Chargers powder blues pretty damn good too. Yeah, those are those are another one where everybody is into those. I know. I love them when they first came out and now I think I'm kind of over them. I don't know why that is. I think I've just, they've just been played out to me now. I it's, I've yeah, seen I, too much I, of them. I, I will say the fact that everybody now it, in in every league it seems like 
the NFL is not quite there yet. Well, they are dark color, but everybody in the NBA now has the black jersey or college teams have the black jersey when it's not even one of their colors. I Like the Boston Celtics wearing a black jersey to me doesn't look right. Yeah, I'm, I don't love the black. I mean, the, if it's I, one of your team colors, that's that's all well and good. Of course. Yeah. If it's one of your team colors, you got to use it because it's as good of a jersey look as you can have for the most part. I mean, when, when Kentucky wears the, 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 the silver football helmets, it drives me freaking insane. The colors are blue and white friends. They're not blue, silver and white. Let's just stick with the colors that are. Yeah. See, and this is where I was going to say, I, I can kind of agree with you on the black thing, but my problem is I'm going to be a hypocrite because I love gray jerseys. Yeah. I kind of, it's funny. I do kind of like gray jerseys. I love <laughs> alternate gray jerseys and that's I'm the same situation. Fair. Basically a lot of teams are using those without it being yeah, really no. a color, but yeah. I, I love it. I think it looks great. Yeah. I'm, that's a fair point. All right. We'll end with this one. And this is of course coming on the heels of the disaster at the yum center the other night where the Frisbee dogs, which are one of the best I, halftime so shows. I haven't seen this yet. I've heard of it. So explain it. I, I know the Frisbee dogs, which I love, but go ahead. I, I, I saw the, the headline. I just didn't get a chance to see the story or the, or the video from this. Yep. So, so, so lay it out for me. They're coming off the floor, the Frisbee dogs, which if, if you've never seen it, it's a halftime show. Where, awesome. uh, a trainer is throwing Frisbees around. The dogs are like jumping off the trainer's back, jumping over them, like getting all types of crazy air, sprinting the length of the floor and catching these Frisbees and then moving on to catch the next. Not one. as good as the King's firecrackers, mind you, but still pretty damn good halftime show. It is a great show. And on the way out, they're ending it. One of the dogs, they're calling him off the floor. He's coming from the free throw line towards the baseline. He stops in the short corner and just drops a wet dump right there on the floor. The trainer's mortified. She jumps to grab him, picks him up while he's still pooping. Another wet little splash falls out onto the court. So there's two little turd piles there uh, sitting on the floor. It has to be cleaned up, all that. So it goes viral, of course. And that brings up this question, which is, what would be the worst mishap you could think of involving popular halftime acts, Skinny? Oh, I, I watched it. Mutton busting. The kids riding the damn, the damn, the, the sheep and the Broncos halftime show a few years ago on a Monday night game. I was mortified. These little kids, and it's a thing. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it is a thing where they put these kids on these like sheep and they try to run this little gauntlet and the kids fall off half the time. Now they got helmets and stuff on but it's the damnest thing you've ever seen. That doesn't sound like a mishap. That sounds great. Yeah, I I always I'm always a little nervous with the jump rope people. And I love the jump rope people, but they always make me nervous. Like some kid's really gonna trip and land a face plant and be not only embarrassed, but bust a face up. Well, see, on that same wavelength, I think the the unicycle kids. Have you ever seen those? Yeah, I have. I have. The unicycle, if you got like a 16 unicycle pile up on the court, you could really have a serious domino reaction there where you've got some some real injuries. Yeah, they did at the uh, Providence home game that I went to. I think it's the only Xavier game I've been to this year, but they had the uh, the trampoline dunk people. They make me a little nervous, too. Oh, now you could have some real injuries there. Too, I know that. Someone likes, I'm always waiting for someone to jump a little too far, do their little yes. flip thing, and then splash into the backboard. No, like the just one guy, honestly, I, like a bug on a windshield. I thought he was going to do that, and somehow his, his momentum stopped him way above the rim, and to, I guess his gravity has it. He came straight down and through the dunk through it with in, in fine form. But when he took off, I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's going to face plant right into the, into the backboard. They yes. make me nervous. I, I would, I could, I've thought about that a few times as well. And apparently I just have a one track mind this morning because while I'm thinking about unicycles again, 
that brings up red panda she's not only on a unicycle she's on the tall unicycle that's, that's like point. as tall as a basket yeah she's she's like 80 pounds soaking wet four feet tall i always think if she happens to screw this up and fall one time she might die what was the one there's a Bengals halftime show i can't remember i always get it confused i know a couple of buddies of mine love this one still monkeys riding, monkeys riding dogs, dogs. Riding sheep. yes something like monkeys riding dogs riding unicycles i think no, no, I thought, no, monkeys riding dogs and they were herding sheep, right? Oh, that's maybe. What, I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, maybe. You might, maybe I think you're, you're right combining a couple of them. Yeah, you might be right, but it's crazy. No, the mutton busting's a real thing. I, I That one was out in Denver. That one so was is, crazy. I, think so, I mean, I, one of the very few Bengals games that I covered when I was one of your backups for the Enquirer was monkeys riding dogs herding sheep at a halftime show. Yeah, what, that that turns into a three-way war between the species. <laughs> I will say the other one, too, is the the uh the the mascot football game versus the kids occasionally there's a mascot that gets a little too overzealous and blasting a kid oh yeah oh yeah i like that though i don't see that as a mishap either i see that as a poor kid that gets depleted well i again i have no issue with that if you're on the field be prepared you know you're you're the same as everybody else make a play sure hit or be hit you know that's how that's how it goes uh also Taking it back to little Super Bowl vibes here, Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake. What about a wardrobe malfunction for quick change? Yeah. I, what if we popped a nipple? Uh, of course, no one wants to see that old man. Like no, they don't. They don't. But quick, quick, change, is pretty, quick change is pretty amazing. That's a great show. It is a great show. <laughs> well, great that, stuff. That's all I got. No, that was a great way to end it. Thank you for that question very much. All right. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next week when we're neck deep into uh, conference tournament action for the NCAA basketball. Uh, we're, we'll be approaching NFL free agency. The combine will be over. So we'll have some probably Bengals and free agency stuff to talk about. And maybe even some more Red Spring training questions from headlines of the week. That will be ahead on next week's podcast. Thanks for being with us. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poker edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.